Welcome to Bureau Happled in Conversation, the engineering podcast where we raise the big questions facing our industry today. This episode is all about data in the AEC industry. Why are we not using it to its full advantage? And what should we be doing about it? To lead this debate, let me bring in Irfan Saneji, who will tell us a little bit about himself and introduce our guest today. Irfan, over to you. Thank you very much, Victoria. So my name is Irfan Saneji. Um, I head up digital services within Bureau Happold, looking at all things technology related. And today we've got four people with us, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, uh, this is uh, Eduardo Bayod. I am a partner and director of the London office uh, of FIDE Partners. We are a strategy and management consulting company with a focus on telecoms, media, and uh, digital technology advisory. So I am uh, therefore one of those that Irfan is saying that will bring uh, perspectives from, from outside Bureau Happold. Hi there. Um, so I'm Stephen Wood. I'm senior commercial manager at an organization called Digital Catapult. Digital Catapult is, is a uh, part industry funded, part government funded agency that was created to drive the adoption of digital technology in UK industry. Hi everyone. Um, yes, my name is Tom Hopton. I work at Bureau Happold in the Building Environments Group. Hi there, Phil Proctor from Burhapol's energy team. So we look at all aspects of energy strategy, um, including decarbonisation, alignment with sustainability and water and transport sectors. Brilliant, lovely. Thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. So uh, again, just to reiterate the, the, the purpose, we were saying that why has data and the uptake of data in the AEC industry been so slow? And, and then we can almost ask that question to say, has it really been very slow? Just to set the scene a little bit and just to, just to kick it off before I ask Eduardo and, and Stephen to, to make some comments about what others are doing outside in the industry, my, my feeling is that it's, it's threefold. I think one is of education, one, one is acceptance of technology and the change, and lastly, it's about lack of clear business benefits and value augmentation. Those three areas, I think, have been pretty key. The, the, the education being not many people understand this tech language, this new language. The acceptance of technology and change, in fact, change generally is always tricky and difficult. And then lastly, understanding those business benefits and understanding how that actually relates to the industry. I think is, has been has been some of the challenges. Eduardo, let's um, kick it off with the, yourself. Um, what 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 is your feeling looking at this from outside in? Well, I I, I think you basically summarised uh, well the the sort of like the past situation on on why why it hasn't really taken up that much in this particular industry of, of um, architecture, construction, and uh, engineering and construction, but. But I think uh, it is going to change, and it's going to be uh, driven in, like in uh, taking up, like it's taking up in some other industries. Because if we if we look at the smart cities uh, size of the pie, like the people who are typically pushing and spearheading the 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 data is the people in telecoms and the people in software. But if if we think of this pie of the spending, like nine percent of the spending in in smart cities is around connectivity and communications, twenty. 
50% on software, 32% in hardware, but the other 39 is in services. Okay. And and so basically the the the, the funny thing is is that uh, the, the people in the smaller pieces of the cake are the ones making the most noise around the smart cities, or they have been the ones making the most noise around the smart cities because now they seem to focus on 5G instead. But the people who is actually responsible for doing the cities, uh, like uh, uh, governments and municipalities and, and regional governments, are starting to go to the guys who actually built them, right? So it's they are starting to go to uh, people like you, people in the AEC industry, who are the guys who can make this thing smart? And um, and I think that this demand from, from these different organizations uh, is, is the thing that is going to force a change in the industry where where data, which is so, really what fuels the smartness of the city. Um, so, you know, so, what, so what I'm hearing is is that it's more the boutique players that are, that, are, uh, that have got a, a stake in the ground and, and are doing something. So what's happened to all the big players? Where, where are the Accentures and the KPMGs and the Ernest and & Young and Deloitte and, and these guys in, in this? I mean, are they sleeping? Do they not have an, a head of AEC? Do they, are, they not, are they not thinking and looking about uh, the size of the cake here? Well, in 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 my perspective, uh, in my experience, uh, the, these guys are are really good from the data perspective, but they seem to be. Uh, on a, a, I mean, at least again from my perspective, they seem to be a bit disconnected from the actual uh, built environment, right? Which is which is why you guys do uh, better. Uh, so I I guess sometimes when we think about uh, digital and and cyberspace, we forget about the actual physical component and the actual people living on on the on on the uh, places, right? So sure. I think that is why. Instinctively, the the responsible for cities are starting to go over and, and talk to you guys, uh, right? Of course, there's like consultants for for the management and the actual IT implementations, but for the for the um, uh, uh, vision and how that vision of a smart city uh, piggybacks on the actual physical smart city, uh, I think it's it's uh, you guys, uh, okay. engineers. Stephen, it'd be really great to understand from digital catapult perspective uh, how this plays out. You know, Eduardo's been talking about this boutique uh, organizations and understanding how uh, Bureau Hapold has a, has a role in, in that. What's been, uh, what's been your uh, view uh, from the digital catapult perspective? Oh, hi. Yep. So, so we've been um, uh, operational for about five years, and, and we've experienced quite a wide range of, of capabilities and interest in the whole digitalization process. Um, we, the good examples are in the financial technology, insurance, um, governance, uh, sorry, gov government, uh, and the creative sectors. Uh, less positive is is in the other sectors, uh, in, including manufacturing, um, the uh, um, food and drink sector, the uh, energy sector, and of course construction and the kind of smart cities uh, agendas. They've been less um, um, positive in, in their attitude towards it, uh, and there you know that that's not uniform. Um, we we find that some sectors are, are more uh, forward-looking than others. I've been involved in the uh, smart cities um, arena uh, also for the last five years, and I'm on the the, um, the advisory board uh, of the um, Birmingham Smart Cities 
group. Uh, and it's been quite a frustrating five years, I've got to say. Um, some good ideas, uh, lots and lots of uh, interested parties, not a lot in terms of actual, you know, developing use cases um, for, for uh, lots of different reasons. Uh, and, and they're not trivial, um, and, and nor, nor are they necessarily um, to be blamed on the industries themselves. They, these are kind of, you know, big challenges. The, there's two types of company, uh, and, and, and Eduardo kind of made this point as well. The large established companies uh, are the ones with most to lose, and they are the ones that find change much more difficult. The, the small, smaller, agile organizations with uh, a certain amount of fearlessness uh, and hunger, uh, these are the guys who are really innovating with digital technology and with data. Uh, and what we've been trying to do is, is, is get these two types of organization together uh, because they can benefit from each other's uh, experiences uh, and learn. Okay. I, I mean, that, that, sound, that sounds really uh, a, a lot of exciting things. You gave us a little snippet uh, of, of smart cities in Birmingham. I think we'd, I'd like to circle back to that in a second. So uh, let's please hold, hold that thought, especially from a, a lessons learned perspective. Um, Tom, Tom um, I think it'd be, it'd be great to get uh, your, your take on, on how, how this is playing out, especially in the work that you've been doing around smart buildings uh, from the building's perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, build, buildings is um, a, a tricky industry for technology and, and data awareness. You know, technology moves fast, but building programs often don't, and it's therefore tricky to keep pace. Um, so it requires effective means of, of stakeholder collaboration, uh, engagement, and education. And quite often, the, the way in which we deliver buildings through the RIBA stages don't facilitate that don't facilitate it in the scopes that we engage with. Um, so we, we, we have to find new avenues in, in which we can engage with the right stakeholders and just really um, elevate the importance of, of technology and, crucially, data. I, rem I remember, Tom, you, you mentioning at one of the presentations we were at with a client uh, up north um, that uh, most of the buildings in the UK are, 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 not, are not ready, are not smart, are not sustainable. Or, but wh why is that? What, why, why, you know, if, if, if building owners, developers, they all know that this is, I mean, that, that, that fact that you mentioned, and please just remind me of what that was again. Um, if everybody yeah. know, if everybody, everybody knows that, then why, why is nothing being done about it? What's, what's the hindering factor? Uh, I think the fact, uh, I think the fact was uh, most of the buildings in the UK and in, and in Europe, in fact, most of the world are deemed inefficient by today's standards. Right. And, exactly. and with so much emphasis on, you know, our, our road to zero carbon, um, we need to be much better. We need to tackle this this huge problem of what do we do with the bulk of buildings in our real estate, and to take them to a zero carbon future. Um, and, and, and I believe, you know, technology data is, is, is a key piece of that puzzle. Yeah, why are we not? I think a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the people will, will, will agree with you. Industry generally will agree. But, you know, if we look at IoT, Internet of Things devices, they have been around for a very, very long time. So all of the technology well, is, comes back is, to is education. Uh, is, is that, is that what it is? Is it just education? Do we need to all just be educators? Is that will that will that resolve the problem? I don't know. I, 
I think we need to do more in that space. Um, we look at, I mean, we go back to buildings and, and all too often we see that um, control systems aren't commissioned correctly uh, and that's led to inefficiencies in the way that buildings are, are operated. Hmm. Why is that? Um, yeah, it's about it's a it's about selling the value uh, and the importance of doing commissioning and specifying the right control systems in the first place right. um, and and that yeah that is partly educating to our clients and our stakeholders it's also giving back to the industry and educating you know the next generation to fill this skill gap which is only going to widen in the future um, so while while we're talking about efficiencies uh, and, and energy specifically, uh, energy buildings and energy generally, um, Phil, it'd be uh, it'd be great to get your understanding from a lot of the projects that uh, I know you've been involved in, for example, in the Middle East and, and closer here to home as well in the UK, uh, around um, why that why that uh, insight of data, especially on energy, um, while it's been available and something that's been prevalent for many many years, why has it not, why has the uptake not, not been as aggressive uh, and as uh, fruitful as we would have liked? And if we take ad- other adjacent industries, and, and Stephen, please uh, feel free to chip in on, on that. But if we take uh, IT, telco, and uh, other other air, uh, other industries, they've moved relatively faster than, 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 let's say, energy per se. I mean, I think from the, the energy context, there's been a major transition in very recent years. Um, probably in part stimulated by um, the drive for um, the low carbon agenda and um, the incorporation of new technologies and the restructuring of our our energy systems. If you relate it to, say, the UK context, the challenge there is that you have a a legacy system based on an architecture and a design that was done, say, 50 years ago that worked very well for a long period of time. Now we're migrating forward to um, a new sort of generation of systems that want to operate and work very differently. And that's from a number of contexts. So traditionally, energy itself has been an isolated sector. If I talk about whether it's electricity system or a gas system, um, very passive in centralized generation, uh, generating from fossil fuels, passing the energy down through the different voltage levels uh, to the consumer. And a big component part of that infrastructure is what we call passive, i.e. there's no intelligence in it. It's, it's effectively, in simple terms, copper, you know, cables and wires transmitting that, that, that energy. No real need for intelligence, because as long as you size the network appropriately, you can deliver that energy to the consumer. Going forward now, what we've seen is a big transition to the need for more intelligence in the systems, and that's at all levels. And there are a number of different models now appearing as a result of that. So um, you mentioned metering. There's a big change in what a meter could do, for example, in terms of smart metering. That itself is to provide additional intelligence into the network to get it to operate um, more efficiently and more effectively. But also there's another element to it, which is to involve the prosumer, get the consumer as traditionally called, involved in the energy mix, understand what they're using, how they're using it, where it's coming from, and also perhaps generate their own. Sorry, Phil, you called it the prosumer. Yes. So the prosumer is now an active, if you like, part of the energy strategy, whereby you're involving people um, in the mix now, and they can be directly involved through energy services and provision of services. 
Um, in simple terms, you know, you could have a solar PV system on your roof. Uh, you could be generating energy from that. You could be using that energy yourself, or you could be delivering that into the grid. You have become a prosumer. Um, if you've got an EV charging system, and that could be um, by weight um, charging, dual charging system, um, vehicle to grid, as, as it's called, or vehicle to X now, um, you'll become a prosumer. <clears throat> but in order to provide for those services, you need a, to underpin um, that system with a digital architecture um, and data transfer. You need to know what's going on in that system at all levels. And that, that approach translates all the way up into the, into the wider system as well, um, into the context of how we actually, A, operate um, and deliver energy, but also how we predict um, energy utilization now as well. Um, so, you know, some example samples that came up um, recently in terms of the transition in the UK context was um, was streaming TV and films, for example, where that, uh, when that came into people's homes, it changed the, when people watched programs on TV. And before, national grid balancing was based in part on when people watched certain programs because you could predict when the energy demand was going to change um, and then you could provision for it. But now that people stream TV, those patterns have changed. So how do you accommodate that in a dynamic way? You need to start to understand that data. You need to start to understand demand data um, and behavior of consumers, and then you can start to use that in conjunction with, with other data and in, in, in renewable generation. That includes weather data to predict when you're going to have supply, when you're going to have demand, and when you need to do something differently to, to make sure that everything's balanced. So the whole system is now becoming and has to be far more intelligent as a result, um, and that means um, understanding um, the value of data and also allowing people to utilize that data to, um, from an entrepreneurial point of view, to, to generate and develop new systems and new services. Sure. So, I mean, th th this sounds very much like uh, my days in, in the telecoms industry of statistical multiplexing gain, when you knew and you could predict that on Christmas Day, in Easter, in, in all of these festival events, there was going to be a peak in demand of telephone calls when uh, when it used to only be telephone calls and WhatsApp and the, and the smartphone wasn't invented um, on, on those particular times during those particular days. And, and the telecoms operator would dimension its network according according to that and here what I'm hearing is, is that now that same concept is applying to the energy industry as well but these concepts aren't new surely you know these things have been around for a long time but yet we still see a lot of the industry players uh, without smart grids without smart meters uh, without that level of intelligence that you've said so what, what's the what's the what's the reason for that is it is it just a, a, is it a cost problem is it um, an education problem is it uh, something else what's what's the challenge there uh, I mean for me personally there's certainly as you you, as you touch on, there's a lot of learning to come from what's happened in the telecom sector. That's all the way from how things have changed from it being a traditional sort of regulated, centralised government-owned infrastructure in the UK context, but also um, and how that's transformed in terms of the, the infrastructure, but also the biggest change is sort of mobile telephony and the services. And now we're using our phones in a very different way. So, you know, we're using applications. That learning um, has been translated into some degree in terms of the, the energy infrastructure and the energy industry. And 
I personally have worked with a number of people from the telecoms industry when we're looking at smart energy systems and there's um, a direct skill set there that can be translated across into the energy infrastructure so that's definitely very relevant in terms of the uptake <clears throat> I think it's mixed because you know when you've got a legacy system that works as I uh, sort of touched on earlier then the impetus to to change that is very limited and we're seeing that transition in the UK from a mixture of, of, of reasons at the moment but predominantly initially it was top-down policy drivers and if they're not in place it doesn't stimulate the industry to do anything differently so you know until we started changing our generation mix in the uk and still we started to put until we started putting carbon targets into place and then looking at how decarbonizing the energy or in this case electricity industry if i focus on that for a minute um, has to change to accommodate that and then subsidies to encourage uptake of different uh, technologies then that stimulus wasn't there before so inherently the technology wasn't required and then inherently the, the data systems weren't necessarily required that we we expect to see today in the new world it's 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 is different because um, you have the opportunity to incorporate those technologies from the very very start so some of the schemes we've done overseas that have been brand new uh, developments their willingness to uh, and the drivers to include that technology from the very start tend to be there uh, because there's no legacy system to to do to de deal with um, however the questions are very similar between the two systems in terms of engineering those systems in terms of what do you want to do with this system how do you want to use it how it's going to be used and I think um, one of the things I, I haven't touched on really um, earlier is the fact that when you're developing these systems it's not just from the energy context anymore but it's from an integration with the other relevant sectors you know water for example um, heat transport in particular nowadays as well with the advent of electric vehicles those integration of the mobility patterns turning that into e-mobility solutions turning that into charging system um, solutions and then understanding the demand patterns of those charging systems then translates into an energy solution but you have to go through those stages of integration and how do you dynamically manage all that you need a, a digital integration to do it and uh, that, that's, that's that's really ex a lot of exciting stuff uh, Phil that you've uh, you've enlightened us about before we move on to understanding uh, what others are doing um, uh, in terms of industry uh, players uh, I'd like to just give a, a little bit of a brief of exactly what uh, Bjorn Hapold are doing in this area and then let's let's understand and listen uh, to, to what what the outside in view is a little bit there. From from the manner in which Bureau Hapol is addressing the, the data uptake and why it's been so slow is, is threefold. Um, first, we said that it's a lack, it's because a lack, lack of education, lack of acceptance, and a lack of clear business benefits and value, value augmentation. How this is being addressed and, and intrinsically part of the operational plan and the work that, that I've, I've done and that we're putting together as a team has been three three areas. One is technology awareness workshops using technology partners. So we built a very extensive technology ecosystem. We understand that not one partner, not one supplier, not one technology uh, provider can provide all of the solutions. The next one is about collaborative projects with uh, engineering consultancy part of the business. So there's a lot of work that we're doing that is a lot closer. When did we ever see uh, technology and uh, buildings work uh, closer together? When did we ever see technology and energy work closer together or water? And so, so there's a lot more of that collaborative effort on projects. And I think we can do a lot more in that area, of course, but there's more uh, in, in that that's 
that's happening now. And lastly, ensuring that the component of technology and digital is now part of every project proposal that we do. We're seeing more and more demand from our customers of having a technology or a digital component within proposals, within requests, within RFIs, RFPs, requests for information, requests for proposals that we're seeing from our clients. And in there, we're no longer just saying must be, the building must be ICT ready. It's far, far more detailed than that. And really, catering for those demands is becoming more and more intrinsically part of our work. So if I, if I just take that out now and just say, how does that work across other areas, both within the AEC industry and outside the AEC industry. What are, what are you seeing uh, specifically, Eduardo, Stephen? Uh, I mean, Tom, please uh, feel feel free to chip in uh, on here uh, on, in your, on your perspective. But initially, um, Stephen, uh, Eduardo, what are your thoughts? One of the biggest challenges, and, and this comes back to the comment made about the telecoms industry before, uh, the telecoms industry is doing quite a good job at, uh, at um, dealing with its own needs and hasn't really done much with the needs of its of its clients uh, and the, the reason I say that is because one of the biggest um, emissions in the UK is any kind of clear infrastructure for the Internet of Things. The, there is no single compelling network solution so getting data from a sensor that's placed in a remote location or pretty much any location is not a trivial challenge yeah that's but that's but that's uk specifically you know i can go to madrid and i can find that we have fantastic service in the underground i can go to singapore and and there's iot sensors on every dustbin so is that a uk problem here because you know telecoms i think has done pretty pretty well i mean we're we've gone from tax to 2g to 3g to 4g to 5g and now to 6g you know so it's uh, it's done pretty well hasn't it no it has, and to, to be quite honest, it, it is a, a largely a UK problem. I mean, the UK is probably not the worst, but it's by no means the best. Uh, the telecoms industry here really has sat on its hands um, and worried more about the cannibalisation of what it sees as its data revenues than it has about actually deploying this type of infrastructure to, to you know, solve these problems. You know, there's been sensors built into buildings for decades the data is never collected nobody has a clear strategy for what value that data can provide and it just ends up kind of vanishing into the background so but why why exactly you're, you're you've hit the nail on that the question is why has that been and, and I think I think the key there is is a bit like um, if you'll allow me the analogy um, when we had those feature phones uh, back in the day with uh, with the Nokia's and everything we and uh, and uh, you know we had some sort of. Uh, the, the current level of smart buildings that we have right now, they still don't seem to have a, a building operating system like the iOS that, that happened later on with, uh, with the iPhones and, and uh, with the Android systems. Everybody is sort of like working on their own little no, silo, no. and it may be one of the reasons why 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 there's not a, a unified a, a unified operating system for for buildings. Um, I don't know you 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 guys know more, Tom, from the from the building management systems perspective. But I think we we still have to see a breakthrough in regards to building operating systems. All right, so, so I mean, part of the answer to that, and, and Edward is exactly right, uh, that's, that's been a massive break on smart cities as to which operating system should, should be used and if, if there is a clear clear one to choose. So, so my, my view is uh, the industry itself, and, the, and this could be borough happled, is make one. 
you know, take the leap and start developing a system that, that both Berahapol can use, its clients can use, and eventually its competitors can use. Drive that kind of use case. Don't wait for somebody else uh, to do it. That, 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 sound, that sounds easy. So, so, Tom, why have we not done it? <laughs> yeah. What's going well, on? Well, we're, 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 we're starting that conversation already. Um, Stephen and I have, have talked about this at, at length. You know, there's all this data residing in buildings at present that is kind of locked away, uh, inaccessible. But if we were to make it accessible, are we connecting the right skill sets to take the value out of that data set? Uh, this is a problem, and the, and the problem is that we haven't got a industry-wide system uh, data architecture that will allow this data to be shared and connected with the industry that can respond to it. Building optimization industry, there, there are companies out there that are honed and tuned to um, mine data from buildings and find patterns in that data that will bring value back to the end user. I think there's, um, a, there's a point here as well around with the complexity of data itself, what it's used for, how it's used, who, who it's used, used by and who owns it. Yeah. When it's user data, um, uh, the industry is very wary uh, of, you know, for all of these privacy things, you know. So, sorry, sorry for to interject, but it's, no, no, it's, it's also another a, factor. There's a lot of concern. So that, that, that's, a key, that's a key point. And what you're seeing commercially in the industry at the moment is that, you know, we talk about an open data platform, but in reality, you could engineer an, an open data platform on any project you want to do. Is that the right thing? I think it's a project by project specific piece. There are data managers and data providers already out there that are integrating into our space, whether that's the building space or whether that's the energy space. But the models that they use are very different. And you know, if you go to an OEM and buy a solution and buy a data solution with it, um, that might be an open source um, based approach, or it might be closed cloud based and you have to apply for access to it. And um, there are all these different models that are operating in industry at the moment. And from the client perspective, it's a very, very confusing space because A, what are the implications on these different models and these different approaches? B, you know, what's the value back to them and how do they use this? Um, and they need guidance on this. So I think, you know, in terms of selection of the approach, and I'm, I'm talking more at the, the local basis at the moment rather than say a wider regional smart city basis but walking the clients through the right data strategy is quite crucial to this before you even get there yeah actually phil that that's exactly right and going going back to Erfan's uh, original question about why, why this is not being done uh, one of the reasons is that uh, there is a significant lack of any kind of sort of scaled use case um, and, and what we're trying to do is, is build these use cases uh, and then once we have them in place then we can get clients and end users of buildings to come and have a look so so we've created a an iot lab in the center of london which will actually explain step by step all of the all parts of this process Sorry, Stephen, just to intro. Yeah, I agree. Collabor collaboration is, is key for um, businesses to benefit. Um, we do need that collaboration between stakeholders because, um, you know, at least from a building perspective, um, the real value comes from joining up the needs of FM, HR, IT, and then external uh, stakeholders such as Phil Proctor's area, you know, that, that energy infrastructure arena. We need to pull 
um, value from all these streams together in order to build the investment proposal for this this new digital infrastructure that, that our industry so desperately needs. Yeah, and and it and it's funny that you mentioned already like a, a couple of things that that were sort of like hindering the the takeoff, like the lack of use cases and and the collaboration, and and those two seem to be uh, being dealt with. Another area which is also sort of like a bit scary sometimes is is the where's that data storage and uh, and what you do with it? Does it does it um, uh, sit on the cloud and all these things? And 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 particularly if it's personal data, uh, people start feeling uh, uneasy about that right but now with all of these uh, edge computing uh, capabilities and you know if we start having all the buildings with some kind of nice fiber backhaul and uh, and some proper edge uh, computing capabilities we can sort of like end up having uh, mini mini data centers in in each of the buildings you know like uh, I, I guess uh, I, I, I think I think sure. this is this is great but I think my my original kind of question around why is the uptake been slow you know these are all kind of solutions based you know we can do this we can do this is all great but what what is the reason I mean first of all do, do we do we all agree that the the uptake of data in the AEC industry has been indeed slow so that's the first thing the second point is is that why is that been we've said education we've said we've said a lack of understanding we've said we've talked about um, the, the acceptance we've talked about value augmentation I mean all of these things are very simple people have been in this industry looking at technology for tens of years so are we saying that they're, they're, we've not been capable of educating our people we've not been uh, capable of uh, learning, asking them to accept the change we've not been capable of putting value augmentations together what's been the actual crooks of it because I don't I don't get, I don't get that uh, you're right in the sense that uh, data has not been taken off um, uh, in the industry and in Bureau Happold in particular but uh, there are like two kinds of usage of data it's like the uh, outside in usage of data where I think Vero Happold is doing fine, all of this, all of this work uh, about how you're using data and technology to do more efficient designs. Yeah, uh, in, in my in my humble experience and, and from my perception, you guys are doing fine. And it's in the uh, inside-out use of data. Like, what are the new use cases that you uh, that you can bring to your clients to use data. So you're using data for your own internal yeah, purposes see, very nicely. Steve, with all Steve of these Steve. kind of things, right? But, but so that I think the, the the question needs to be taken, uh, um, needs to be broken into. I think. Cybersecurity, data privacy. Tom, these are two very important areas, and and you know you must come across this all the time, especially from a building's perspective. You know you do a lot of work, especially hands-on on building management systems. You 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 didn't say in your introduction, but I'll say on your behalf. You also lecture in this particular subject, so you are a guru when it comes to all things smart building related. Cybersecurity, it's getting more and more yeah. important. Yes, I, I heard um, recently it's it's bigger than the world drug trade at the moment. <laughs> I wouldn't um, I wouldn't I wouldn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge issue, and you know our clients are, are kind of hearing this, and they become very nervous when we start talking about smart buildings. So you want to open our building up to the cloud, and what does that do to our security? What does that do to the data that we hold around, you know, our, our personnel? 
I would say cybersecurity, data privacy is the two biggest barriers for um, greater connectivity of buildings in, in our industry. How do we address it? We need greater rigor really in understanding these issues in our industry. We need better standards in industry to define what is cyber secure and what, you know, how we should create data um, and, and share data. Sorry, sorry, Tom. What you described there, though, you're right. They are huge challenges, but but they are actually also solvable problems. They just have to be at the top of the risk registers of, of companies. Uh, and if if you look at the risk registers of, of large companies, particularly in the manufacturing sector, you will not find cybersecurity in the top three. You probably might in the near future, but and it is climbing up there. But if it was near the top, then then it's a, it's something that can be solved. Same with data. Same with data privacy. It's it's all about understanding the whole kind of cycle of data. But have we got enough knowledge in our industry in order to broach this subject to our clients? That to Collect, me seems collectively, like collectively, I think we do. It's just in pockets, and and I think yeah. one of the reasons I jotted down for for lack of uh, uptaking data or, or, or digital. Uh, one of them is, is just a complete lack of digital maturity. Uh, and, and every organization has pockets of excellence. What, what we've got to do is, 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 is convince the rest, and particularly the people making the investment decisions, as to you know, what the real benefits are. Uh, and that, that is an education piece. Uh, it's been said several times already. But, but that, that is really where you start. The, the other big challenge is, is that none of these changes are small. The, the nature of digital technology is is it's highly disruptive. Therefore, if you're going to get into this game, you are going to have to be uh, prepared to be disruptive uh, and disrupted at the same time. Uh, and that's kind of a scary thing for large organizations to take on. There's no benefits in this by making fractional changes. You, a lot of organizations, a lot of industries have got to make some really big step changes. I mean, I'd second that point, Stephen. I mean, actually, you know, when you break down the industry uptake as well, you've got to remember that um, some of the organizations that we're dealing with, whilst we can help work with them to develop a, a solution for them, they have to adopt it. And including in adoption is getting the right skill sets into the organizations and the right systems and the right processes. Um, and that in itself can take quite a lot of effort. Um, and there has to be a business case for doing that. And, you know, in particularly in the energy sector, transitioning um, the utilities, for example, that haven't in the past needed those skill sets in their industry to a point where they, they, they get them, they adopt them, they upskill people, etc. is is a huge transitional barrier to some of this work. Okay, so, so this sounds like uh, sounds like uh, I, I'm finally getting a, a, an answer to, 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 to the question. I'm I'm, re I'm really loving this. Um, so just just to just to summarise a little bit uh, before we before we head for for, for closure, we we've talked about the, the lack of education, maturity, complexity. It's highly disruptive. We can't make fractional step changes. The industry uptake to adopt this is is quite scary because it's a very complex beast. Getting the right processes and systems in place for those organizations has been very critical. Getting those right skills and, and recruiting those people is, is also a part of the challenge. The acceptance is still a problem. The lack of a clear business case and the value augmentation still continues to be a problem. But one of the things I want to point out 
um, is the Innovation Centre at 17 Newman Street in London. We're actually building a touchy-feely innovation hub digital shop window where you can actually, where customers, where employees can actually come and feel and touch a lot of this technology, whether it's a physical smart meter, whether it's a video wall with augmented reality, whether it's a smart kiosk or smart bench or whatever the technology may be, the physical attributes of being able to touch and feel of this technology, we're hoping will go some way in bringing tangible understanding and an education perspective of that. We're also looking at building an inorganic and organically our team, our expertise, our capability, recruiting new people and a new breed of engineer, so not your standard mechanical, electrical, um, plumbing engineer, but, but more a communications engineer, an IT engineer, and of course, we're, we're, we're talking about publishing white papers. We're, we're having events like Breakfast with BH Bureau Hapol Digital. We're doing um, digital roadshows across the region. So lots of activities happening to try and build this out. But is it enough? I'm not sure. I guess the key uh, was was mentioned before. I mean, like there are several barriers uh, around cybersecurity, data privacy, uh, the, the use cases that have to be defined, and it's everything really about digital maturity. And in a way, this reminds me a bit like like languages, right? Like uh, smaller organizations, like smaller kids, they can pick up new languages uh, faster. And um, and I guess it it is uh, it is a competitive advantage. For, for smaller, more agile organizations to be able to work on these uh, on these dimensions, but on these new domains, the bigger guys also want to play this game because it's it's um, it's it's clear that it's going to be very lucrative, and, and the responsible for smart cities uh, are going to be looking for for data solutions to fuel the smartness, and, and they're also going to go to them, right? So it's um, it's it's a race, really. So I think. Um, I think uh, the partner ecosystem uh, of people that help you in the in the race uh, is is going to be very important. So it's it's going to be really important to to manage those. And I think I think that that's really the best way to ramp up with the with the maturity. Okay, great. Thank you, um, Stephen. Yes, uh, I'm going to build on just something Eduardo said right at the end there, and that, that's about the uh, partnership ecosystem. The UK has a fantastically deep pool of uh, digital uh, innovators and they they would represent an amazing resource for companies to to access because it would it would accelerate the the whole um, development and in, implementation of skills and uh, digital maturity um, Tom any any last comments from you I would say yeah key points for me education collaboration we need to disrupt we need to be prepared to be disrupted and we need to embrace digital to tackle the change that um, is facing our climate at the moment phil final comments remarks i mean for me the fact that we're having this discussion is is great in itself because it means that we all recognize what's happening what's going on already and the need to do more of it we do need to do more thanks phil for concluding our discussion today and thank you to all our guests who took part I hope you enjoyed it and we all hope our listeners will enjoy it too. You have been listening to Bureau Happold in Conversation, the podcast where we tackle the big issues facing engineering and construction today. Catch up with the rest of our conversations on Google Play, iTunes, Amazon Alexa or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you've heard, please do share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. 
So until next time, goodbye. <laughs>